This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 324. So in today's episode, I have a special treat for my listeners. I'm going to be talking to event photographer down in Tampa, Florida, Boo Ray Perry. He has a very exciting and growing YouTube channel, and he's also host of his own podcast called Photobomb. So let's welcome him to the show. Hey. Hey, how's it going, sir? Uh, it's going good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Keeping warm up here in North Carolina. <laughs> We're always keeping warm in Tampa. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, you guys get good weather pretty much all the time, so you're kind of spoiled down there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's start off. Uh, like, I want to have you give a little bit about your background and how you got into photography to kind of start things off here. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's see. I got my first camera when I was in middle school. I was a yearbook photographer and I had my own dark room. Uh, then I stopped being a photographer and started being a disc jockey and I was a disc jockey for 20 years. Um, I finished out my career at radio and, uh, in Dallas at ABC radio network. And I did a national show, um, at 63 stations nationwide. And then I retired and I moved to Florida and became a stay at home dad. And then we were in the real estate business. The market crashed in 2008. We lost everything. And like many people in 2008, I had to go back to work and I had always loved photography. So I went back to photography and uh, started Blu-ray Perry Photography and the rest is history. And now I, I shoot and I teach a lot. I have a YouTube channel and a podcast and I do a lot of speaking around the country at conventions and stuff like that. Oh, that's totally cool. And yeah, that would yeah. suck to have to start all over after the housing market crash. That would seriously be a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It was rough for us. We had uh, 12 employees. We owned a title insurance company and we had 12 employees and uh, $1.5 million a year in sales. And then one month later, we were completely done. Oh my goodness. That <laughs> yeah. is horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. We'd oh lay off 12 God. people, shut everything down, uh, no income, completely wiped out. And I was like, well, I always I always like taking pictures. So I, I threw myself back into it uh, 60 hours a week, learning everything I could about photography and shooting anything that I could and then built a business and, and a second career from that. That's totally awesome. So uh, you're specializing in event photography and I, I'm not sure, but I think you do weddings as well. I do everything. Uh, I am a jack of all trades photographer. I, well, I say I do everything. I don't do babies uh, and I don't do boudoir, but I, well, I will do pretty much anything else that you hire me to do. But my um, career has always sort of just meandered wherever it wanted to go. Uh, I'm, I'm not a specialist in, in the terms that they say you should specialize, right? You should pick one thing and that's your thing and you should be very good at it and just do that. And my problem is that I get bored if I just do that all the time. So I like variety. So I started off trying to do portraits and then I shot a couple of weddings and I really loved that. And then I shot a lot of weddings. I've shot over 500 weddings. And then I um, had some people come to me and say, hey, would you like to do a bar mitzvah? And I said, sure. And now I'm one of the most, uh, well, most used bar mitzvah photographers in Tampa. I do a lot of bar mitzvahs and uh, weddings still. 
and then convention work as well, and then headshots. During the, during, basically, during the week, I'm doing headshots, and on the weekends, I'm doing events. That's totally cool. And I know yeah. you uh, You mentioned that you speak uh, at workshops and stuff like that. I know you've actually spoken at uh, B&H quite a few times, haven't you? Uh, which one's uh, at oh, B&H? Yeah, yeah, up in New no, York. I said v, I thought you said VMH, and suddenly I'm like, is it Virginia, <laughs> Massachusetts? Uh, what is VMH? Uh, yeah, well, I spoke at BNH um, this year for their um, – I always get the name. But I always want to call it out of focus. It's not out of focus. It's depth of field. Yeah, <laughs> yep, that's right. Their convention is called depth of field. They have a, a like a two-day conference in New York City and uh, at the New Yorker Hotel, which is this great hotel. Nicholas Tesla used to live there. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, you can like like his room was right down the room, right down the hall from my room. I just love I love stuff like that. So he um so I shot I I spoke at B and H uh, this year at uh, their conference, and then last year I don't think they had a live conference last year, so I did a, a webinar thing for them last year, and then I've spoken at Imaging USA probably six times, and I've spoken at WPPI probably three times, and then I've spoken at almost every state convention that has a state convention. You're in North Carolina, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I spoke at yours. <laughs> I don't know. What do they have here for a photography convention? I don't know. They, they have something. I spoke in North Carolina, I would say, about 10 years. I, well, it was North Carolina or South Carolina I spoke at. I always get the Carolinas confused. Which, which, one, is, uh, which one is Charlotte? Charlotte's North Carolina. Yep. Okay, yeah. I spoke in Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte's about four hours from me. Yeah, me and uh, me and Gary, the guy I do my podcast with, uh, Photobomb, uh, we both spoke there and we did oh, a podcast cool. there. Yeah, this was, but this would have been maybe ten years ago. So oh, yeah, okay. I, I'm I'm known for my speaking in the photography world more than I am my photography. Most <laughs> most people don't. Most people, you know, people don't like hunt me down. Oh my God, have you seen the incredible work of Bure Perry? It's not so much that. It's like Bure Perry is really good at teaching photography, uh, you know, and he's a pretty good photographer. That's, <laughs> pretty, that's pretty much the way it goes. Oh, uh, goodness. Well, you know, my friend Skip Cohen, he always says he's not a photographer because he actually does more of the business and marketing side of having a photography business than the actual shooting. Right. And, uh, so that's his joke. He's like, oh, yeah, I could do a portrait, but, you know, so and so could do it in like five minutes and I could do the same portrait, but it would take me 10 hours. <laughs> ah, see, I'm the other way around. My problem is that I don't like to spend a lot of time on the photography part of it. I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm an efficiency nut. I, I really like to do things quickly and efficiently. So I will cut corners and get it done quickly and inexpensively but still better than most of my competition at the same price. Uh, so that's kind of my thing. So um, I, you know, like people come in for a headshot and they're like, how long is it going to take about an hour? And I'm like, no, it's going to take about five minutes, maybe 10. <laughs> and then, okay, but it does because I've done it enough and I've worked it out. I know how to tell you how to stand. I know you were, how to tell you how to turn lights and everything. I set up and dialed in before you walk in the door. Uh, so it's, you know, it's only gonna take about five minutes and then we're going to find the one you like, and then I'm going to retouch it and you're going to be happy. And I'm going to go back to doing what I want to be doing, which is, I don't know, drinking beer and watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I actually have another friend who, uh, does portraits kind of that way too. He knocks it out pretty quick cause he has everything ready ahead of time. And that's Levi Sim. Uh, he does some amazing photographies, uh, for, uh, portraits, especially he started out building his portfolio by going out to like farm shows and stuff like that and just running a booth there. And then he would set his booth up and just get everybody to go through, you know, single file. He was doing it for free just so he could build up his portrait portfolio. 
Wow. And uh, wow. He, he would just hammer them out that way all day long at a farm show uh, complex or a gardening show or a boat show or whatever. <laughs> I, uh, I built up my wedding portfolio kind of the same way. I wasn't doing it for free, but I was doing it uh, very inexpensively. My wife started a beach wedding company here in Florida. Um, what had happened was, uh, well, when we, when we lost everything, we had to start over. I, I had built up my photography business, which was going okay. And she was still looking for something to do. And she, someone came to work for me who had worked for a beach wedding company. And she was talking to this uh, girl and, and she said, what did you do? And she said, I took phone calls and I booked people for their beach weddings. And she said, and how much do they spend on a beach wedding? And she said, well, the average is usually about a thousand dollars on the beach wedding. And she said, and how many bookings do you get? And she said, well, in the first six months, I booked 60 of them. Wow. And my wife's like, and my wife's like, sit down and tell me everything you know about this business. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what she did. And my wife, after she researched it and she went and looked at all the companies that did it, she came back to me and she goes, so I'm looking at all these companies that do these destination bride beach weddings here in Florida. And I noticed that they all have same, the same thing in common. And I said, what's that? And she said, they don't have really good photography. And again, if anyone's listening to this who does this now, this was in the past. Today, they have great photography, <laughs> but in the past, <laughs> they did not. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other photographers. And uh, I said, yeah. She said, why is that? And I said, well, because it's a one-hour wedding on the beach, and you're not going to get a really good photographer to go out there with the lights and everything required to do a sunset, you know, sunset romantics and stuff. You're not going to get them to go out there for an hour. It's not enough money. A good photographer is not going to take that job. And she said, well, it seems to me like there's a market for a, a company that has really good wedding photography on the beach. That would be our, our hook. I said, sure, that sounds good. Great. Who's going to shoot it? Cause I'm a good photographer. I'm not going to go out there and shoot it. And she said, yes, you are. You're going to go out and shoot it or you're going to train someone to shoot it. So that's what I did. So on the weekends I trained someone, I trained that particular girl. I, I trained her to shoot. I'm like, for what? she said, you can teach somebody to do what you do for one hour. Can't you? I'm like, okay, that's valid. Cause it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's yeah. an assembly yeah. line. You're, you're on the beach. Here's the sunset. It's the same setup. Everything's the same. You know, it's not like a, a wedding where you don't know what you're getting into. You know exactly what you're getting into. It's every single time. It's the same thing. So I taught, so I trained someone else to do it. And if it was a weekend when I had a big gig, they would shoot it. But during the week I would go shoot it. So next thing you know, I'm shooting three, four beach weddings a week, one hour. I show up, wow. it, they, they come down, I shoot the wedding, I shoot the formals, I shoot the uh, romantic stuff, and I'm back off the beach. It's been an hour and 15 minutes, start Holy to finish. <laughs> yeah, so you get to where, I mean, I can, I can do that with my eyes closed. I can walk you through, it's an, literally, it's an assembly line of, okay, now it's this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot. And also, the other thing I did, like your friend did, was with us, they paid a small fee to have me out there, but then they had to buy the pictures after the fact. Yeah. I yep. can't tell you. How much that will make you a better photographer if you don't make any money unless they buy something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so suddenly it's like I've got 15 minutes at sunset and I need to produce 50 pictures that they'll buy. Yeah. You know, and so so you you come up. I took props. You know, I can't I was always looking for something, anything I could come up with that would give them a picture that they would say, I have to have this picture. And um, so we did that for about ooh, maybe four or five years. And then, uh, and that was, and that's, it's stressful and, and, you know, you're hot and covered in sand and, and, and your gear gets, gets rugged and beat up, but it's also a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, you're standing at your truck, you know, putting your gear away and the sun's going down and you're at the beach and there's a nice breeze and you're like, this is so much better than being in an office. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's kind of crazy, but believe it or not, the way I started out as a paid photographer was doing children's portraits for Kmart eons ago. 
Oh my God. Before, really? Yeah. Before anybody had a retail studio. Uh, okay. and, and I can't even remember the company I was uh, contracted with, but I actually did the children's and family portraits for Kmart. There was seven of us on the East Coast, and we traveled from Maine to Florida doing every Kmart on the East Coast. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Do you by any chance know the name Kevin Newsom? It sounds familiar, yeah. Kevin Newsom and Kay Newsom. Yeah, I know. I know. A, I knew a Kevin Newsom. I can't remember how long okay, it's been well, now. Kevin but. and Kay Newsom ran one of the companies that did all of the shooting for Kmart. Oh, okay. That, and, that's probably the guy I worked for then because I do remember yeah, the name. Yeah, Kay worked for the company and Kevin was a shooter. And then they got married. And when they wanted to get married, Kay had to quit because the policy was that she couldn't marry an employee. Ah, and, okay. But Kevin was the same way. So when you saw, I was like, oh, my God, Kevin was the same way. He started out shooting for Kmart. And that's a baptism by fire. Oh, yeah. Friend. Tell me about you it. Know? You'll get your stuff down <laughs> yep. uh, doing a job like that. But Kevin is, a, uh, Kevin is like the godfather of Florida photography. Everyone in Florida who's a photographer who's involved in any way with the local organizations or anything like that, they all know Kevin. Kevin has been president of the Florida uh, Association like twice. He was president of the Tampa Association twice. He was president of the Regional Association. Uh, he's just done everything. And uh, well-respected and always there and, and eager to help a really good friend of mine. Just finished hiking the Appalachian Trail. At 65, he hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. Six oh, months. my goodness. Holy yeah. cow. That's Wrote amazing. Wrote a book about it, by the way. Great book. Really great book. And if you look at the back cover, you'll see a headshot on there. It's mine. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I did his headshot. But, yeah, you weren't kidding about baptism by fire. That's the way it was. And, uh, you know, because the way we did it back in the day, you got out there to the store. You had no idea what part of the store they were going to post you in. Because it wasn't always the same area. You had mixed lighting. You had to use your light meter and all of that good stuff. And I always had to have tons of props because I've always been a silly person, I guess you could say. I was kind of a class clown in high school. Um, I do voices and, and stuff like that. So I was very successful doing the children's portraits for Kmart because I would do little puppet shows and voices and I would get unbelievable laughter and smile from the kids. And the moms would always, always buy the most expensive packages. And that's how I made a really good living doing that. I, uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm really impressed by that because I don't have that gene. I'm great with grownups and adults. I was a, a, I was a dish jockey. I was a stand-up comedian. I was an improvisational comedian. So if you put me in front of a room full of adults, I can entertain and have a good time. But children, I'm just, I've never been great at, at being silly with kids. I have a friend of mine that does a couple of day schools and he'll have me come in and help him on some of those schools. And he's next to me and I'm doing mine and he's doing his and I'm watching him and he is just like going crazy. We're doing everything he can to get smiles out of these kids. And I'm just like, hey, how about a smile? <laughs> yeah. you know, I, just, I just don't have it the way that some people have it. So I, so, so I mad respect for anyone who has that skill. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I've just always been that way, especially with little kids. Like I've literally gone to people's houses for a visit and had like their toddler come running over, arms upstretched, wanting me to pick them up. And the parents are like, our child never does that with a stranger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Children are afraid of me. <laughs> yeah, and I don't get that. And of course, nowadays, any of the stores that are still around that do have um, portrait photography, you know, on premises, it's all cookie cutter. Um, it's what I and, and I don't do this to be mean, but it's what I call they basically hire a shutter monkey. They hire some yes. teenage kid for like 12 bucks an hour. And, and if you walk into the studio, they got that 
flat carpet there, like industrial carpet. And if you look, they literally have duct tape X's on the floor. One light mm-hmm. goes on one X, one light goes on the other X. The camera goes on the third X, set the child on the bench, push the button. That's it. Yeah. Well, well, to be fair, studio photographers have done that for years. They, that way they don't have to reset their lights every time. Well, yeah, but yeah. what you're saying is true. I shot the wedding for somebody who worked at, uh, there was a place at the mall called the, the people place or the people people or something like that. And that's what they did, right? It was, it was portrait studio and she worked there and I said, Oh great. You know, a photographer. And she goes, not really. And I said, well, you know this. And she goes, no, I don't know anything. She goes, the only <laughs> instruction they gave us is try to get the kid to smile. That's it. Yep. Try to get and the kid like, to smile, oh, and this okay. is the button on the camera you push. <laughs> but, I mean, if everything's dialed in light-wise and you're shooting the same thing every time, then really, okay, yeah, you're right. A monkey could do it, you know. Uh, you have to be a certain – it takes a certain person to really want to learn photography. I mean, yeah. I have a YouTube yep. channel, and my like I have a series on there called Blu-ray Explains, and I started at the very beginning. Like, Blu-ray Explains, what is Aperture? Like I've started, I started at the very beginning and I'm working my way up. And when you go that route and you start explaining every little thing in photography, you realize just how involved and difficult photography is. Oh yeah. Yeah. And anyone who wants to go, it's like, it's like somebody who goes, I think I'd like to be a woodworker. And then an actual woodworker goes, really? Would you like to know what you have to know to be able to make a box? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just to just to make a stool. Do you know how hard that is, and how many tools it takes, and how much work it is? It's the same way with photography. And the more you learn, the more you with the what they call the imposter syndrome, where the more you learn, the more convinced you are that you shouldn't be doing it, that you don't deserve <laughs> it. You know, because when you first start out, you're like you're you make such you make rapid progress. Right. I didn't know anything. And now I understand the rule of thirds and I understand uh, the exposure triangle and I understand what ISO. And so you're like, wow, I'm becoming a, I'm a photographer. This is great. And then as you go on, it's years later and you'll be in a conversation and somebody will drop some say something in the conversation in your head. You're thinking, I have to go home and look that up. I don't know what that is. I'm a professional photographer and I don't know what that is. I don't know what the zone of confusion is. Yeah. You know, for example, yeah, what's no the zone of confusion? No doubt. There's a lot to photography. I mean, I've, I've been doing it for almost 40 years and I still learn new things all the time. Oh, God, yes. Yep. Yeah. It's scary, but <laughs> but I enjoy doing it. Um, and I haven't always done it, you know, to make a living. I've done it to make a living off and on over those most of those 40 years. I started out doing it in the 80s and with film cameras. And I never had my own dark room. I used the one at our local school and uh shot for the yearbook and the school paper and all that stuff too and then i'd get out of it for a while and only do it as a hobbyist and then i'd be back into doing it as a paid shooter shooting nascar or superbike racing or imsa racing or something else uh i've done some weddings but i usually restrict that to only for friends or family members just because mm-hmm. i'm not a huge i really do not like shooting weddings at all and uh, i always give mad props to anybody that does that for a living <laughs> Oh, I love them. Yeah. I, I, the first time I did one, I didn't, I never even thought about doing weddings until I did one. And then, um, I, you know, I like about weddings and and all events and headshots too, believe it or not, because so many times you're, it's like, great. You've got to drive and do a headshot for five doctors in a room. It's 10 by 10. Oh yeah. So there's a problem to be solved. And that's what I really like about it. And with weddings, it's the same way, you know, walk in, you know, great. You're shooting a wedding. They're getting married in front of the giant fish tank and Tampa aquarium. Oh, the whole room is black and everything is painted black and the ceiling is black. So you can see the fish. Yeah. And now you've got to shoot the ceremony. (laughs) 
solve that, you've got two minutes. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, the aquarium is going to reflect the light. <laughs> right, and the light, exactly, and you're going to get reflections off the glass. So I love that. Now, luckily for me, at this particular aquarium, they have spotlights to hit the bride and groom, so you can actually natural light it, which is so rare. You're inside, but you're able to shoot natural light. But I love that. You know, you go into a room, and it's, oh, wood paneling, you know, waffle ceiling. Uh, so when I, you know, So now if I bounce into the ceiling, my light's going to be lost. But there might be some places I can bounce, so I have to try and – work those angles on the room to get a good balance if I want to light my room well, or I'm going to have to run up two quick lights and, and, and light the dance floor that way. And how am I going to run those lights up and where am I going to put them? And how am I going to, you know, it's that uh, problem solving aspect of it uh, that I love the most, which is why my, <laughs> my friend Gary who does my podcast with me. I asked, I said, uh, what word, give me one word to describe my wedding photography. And he thought about it and he said, um, consistent. And I was like, oh, okay. He goes, you're not the best at any one thing that you do, but you are consistently good all the way through from beginning to end on a wedding. He said, and that's, not, that's rare. With a lot of weddings, you get like, you get the person who's really great at the romantics. Like I'm going to get the bride and groom together and I can pose them. I can make them look so beautiful. I can put them in front of this great building and I can light them and I get this great romantic, but ask them to do a group or ask them to shoot the dance floor during the party. And, and it will be marginal, you yeah, know, because yeah. that's just not their thing. They, they don't really care about that. And my thing is I care about everything, but I only care about it enough to get paid. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to be the very best at anything. Although I, although I think my event work, working the party stuff, I am really, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really good at that. But I just don't, I don't have that passion for one thing that I will just zero down on that thing forever. I always want to learn the next new thing or, or move on. It's the learning part that I enjoy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you must be good at the event thing because you're the bar mitzvah king down there. I am the bar mitzvah king. Listen, <laughs> I tell everybody. When I go to, it's like a secret club. When I go and I speak at conventions and stuff and I'll say, you know, who's shooting bar mitzvahs and nobody says anything. And then afterwards, someone will come up to me and they go, I do bar mitzvahs. And we look at each other like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like it's a secret club that we don't want anyone to know about. Let me tell you about (laughs) bar mitzvahs. Okay. First of all, they pay as much as a wedding pays. So the money is the same or better. Okay. Secondly, you're not dealing with a 25-year-old bride and her 25-year-old fiancé. You're dealing with two middle-aged people. Mom's a doctor. Dad's a lawyer. Uh, you know, say. They've got kids cut for the bar mitzvah. They've known this party was coming for 13 years. Yep. Right? So they've been preparing for it. They are ready to pay for it. And they value, above all else, expertise. So with wedding photography, it's a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. A lot of it is you will see a lot of you got you got to connect with your client. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Do you edit? <laughs> no, not usually. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Yep, that's fine. You got to connect with your client. You know, right? You got to connect with your client. Send them a Starbucks gift card. Meet them someplace cool. You got to make them. They got to like you because the younger people with weddings, a lot of times, it's about the experience. They want the cool bohemian photographer, and they want blah blah blah. And then here you come, the old guy who just has tons of experience, but you're like somebody's dad, and yeah. so they don't necessarily want that because to them, the photographer is part of the whole experience, and so they don't necessarily want you. The bar mitzvah people, yeah, they're busy. 
They have a life, they have jobs. And what they want is somebody who's competent and good and professional who they can just go, great, here's your deposit, here's a signed contract, take care of it for me, and then they can move on. They don't wanna have to hold your hand, they don't wanna have an experience from you, they want you to handle it, take care of it all. And that's right up my alley, that's what I'm good at. So um, you get that aspect for them. And then here's the best aspect of all, no one ever comes in after you've shot their wedding to pick up their wedding album and says, by the way, I'm getting married again next year. Can you put me on the calendar? Yeah, really? <laughs> well, with a bar mitzvah? Yeah, it happens all the time. The best thing in the world is when someone calls me for a bar mitzvah consult, and they're like, yeah, it's the oldest of four. I'm like, yes. Yep. That's Ching. four weddings. That's four. The, the, that's basically four weddings I'm going to get from that. Because if you do a good job for them on the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one, they just send you an email and go, here's the date. Send me the contract. Yeah, exactly. You got it made. Yeah, they are, they are just the, – the community is great. If you do a great job, they will talk about you. They will share you. There's a, there's a Facebook group that's um, – uh, all the Jewish moms are a member of this Facebook group here in Tampa. And the last four bar mitzvahs I shot, I said, how did you find me? And they say, you're the most recommended photographer on that Facebook group. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm like, thank you. Great. Meanwhile, I can't get my wedding photographer people to talk about me because I don't want the same wedding photographer that my friend had. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, but in the bar mitzvah world, yes, I absolutely, you know, a lot of times I'm shooting a bar mitzvah and it's somebody who is at another bar mitzvah that I shot. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I go to bar mitzvahs all the time and there's two or three kids there who I know. Yep. I, uh, I actually have a friend back uh, home. Um, he's actually in New York city, which is quite a ways from where I'm from in Northeastern Pennsylvania. But, uh, he does, uh, he does DJing for bar mitzvahs and that's all he does. And he makes crazy money doing it. Yeah. Because I have a good friend. I have a good friend of mine who is guys are doing that. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who's one of the, who is the number one bar mitzvah photographer in town. And he, I recommend him and he recommends me. And it's an incredibly hard job to do. You have a room where half the room is 13 and half the room is 60, and you have to get them all to get up and dance. Yep. <laughs> it's a very, very hard job. I was a disc jockey for 20 years. I know how hard it is to work a room like that. And if you're good at it, you will always have work. Yep. There you go. Absolutely. All right. So the next thing I wanted to ask you is let's talk a little bit. And, and I always tell my listeners, it doesn't matter what they shoot with, but I always like to ask my guests what system they're currently using for their photography. So let's go there next. I was a Canon shooter uh, in the beginning, and I started with a 40D, and then I moved to the 5D Mark II, and then the 5D Mark III, and the 5D Mark III was my main camera for, gosh, seven to 10 years probably. And then when COVID happened, I saw that as an opportunity to make the jump to mirrorless because I've got time now. I can make the jump to mirrorless and I'll have time to get used to it uh, because I'm not working. And I decided to switch brands because I had bought a camera to be my walk around camera, my vacation camera. And I purposely bought a camera with a fixed lens because I didn't want an excuse to carry more lenses because I will carry more lenses if I can carry more lenses. Yep. Right. Because, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy me a cam. I want to buy a camera that just forces me to be small and simple because then I'm more likely to take it with me. So I bought a Fuji X100V. And if you don't know the Fuji X100 series, uh, like bar mitzvahs, it's a club. People who have this camera love this camera. And I bought that camera and I used it and I found that more often than not, I wanted to pick that camera up rather than picking up my Canon. 
uh, because I'll tell you how much I loved it. I had a wedding that booked me during the uh, pandemic to come and just shoot the ceremony and afterwards. And I said, are you getting married, the, getting ready at the church? She said, yeah. I said, can I come and shoot for an hour before the ceremony? Excuse me. <laughs> just shoot the getting ready stuff uh, for free. I'll give it to you for free if you'll let me do it. Uh, and it'll all be black and white. And she said, okay, sure. Why not? So I went and shot an hour for free just because I wanted to shoot with my X100V. <laughs> I wanted cool. to shoot. I wanted to shoot with that camera in black and white, all natural light and see what I could do. And, uh, that, and it'd been a long time since I had had that joy for photography, you know, because it becomes a job, right? You drive NASCAR for a living. You don't go out for a drive on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it was like, and, and I loved it so much that I started doing more research into Fuji and I decided, you know what, I'm going to switch. So when I switched to mirrorless, I went to Fuji and I shot with the Fuji X-T4 for about two years. And then recently I upgraded to the uh, Fuji X-H2, which is a top of the line camera. And, uh, I love Fuji. I mean, it's got its drawbacks. It's, uh, you know, it's APS-C, uh, it's not full frame. Um, that's a whole other issue. I have a whole video on YouTube about that. Uh, that APS-C is the new full frame and, uh, and it's just, it just in the same way that full frame supplanted medium format, um, APS-C will eventually supplant, um, full frame. And so I, uh, and I love it. I, you know, I absolutely love Fuji. And if you don't know the Fuji X100V, your photographers, you're listening to this podcast, let me just tell you, it's got a fixed, uh, 2.0 lens and it's got a leaf shutter and a built-in four stop neutral density filter. So you can do things with that camera that you can't, I can't do with my best camera. You know, like I can flash sync speed at one four thousandths of a second, for example. Yeah, exactly. With no loss, with no loss of flash power. Like, well, like, like what you get with high speed sync. You can do that because it's a leaf shutter. So living in Florida and working in bright sun a lot, I can take a picture of you and use flash on your face on a bright sunny day and still bring the back down, background down with my shutter speed. And I can't do that with my X-H2 or my Canons. Yeah, exactly. So it's really fun if you're into the nuts and bolts of photography. It's a really fun camera to have because it's so unique. And that's what that's what brought me into the Fuji ecosystem. Now, I seem to recall seeing somewhere, don't you shoot uh, the GH uh, series? Yep. I actually, well, like you, I shot Canon for many years uh, because I did professional motorsports and other sports and stuff like that. So I was always lugging around the big white Canon lenses, the huge ones that weighed a ton and, sure. and the 1D line of bodies and stuff like that. And, but I had gone back and forth over the years when I wasn't shooting sports, I would shoot Canon, I'd shoot Fujifilm. And back in the day, I used to shoot Yashica uh, quite a bit as well. And, um, and then last year, the, well, actually the tail end of the year before I have a, a, a disorder in my right arm called CRPS complex regional pain syndrome. And it was caused by a traumatic fracture of my wrist, but, uh, almost 30 years ago, it was the 10th time I broke the same wrist. Ooh. And, um, so I have this nerve disorder in my arm now. And then I started having problems with my left arm because I couldn't use my right arm as much when I was lugging all that heavy camera gear out. And so the tail end of the year before last, my doctor's like, look, you either got to give up photography or you got to go to a lighter system. That's all there is to it. One or the other, make up your mind. And I was like, well, I'm not giving up photography. So I traded in all my Canon mirrorless gear and went to all Fuji. Now, while I was still shooting Canon, the last three or four years I shot Canon, I was also shooting Fujifilm GFX. Um, so I already had their medium format. I had the 50 R, 
um, and a couple of lenses for that. And I was using the GFX 50R for my abandoned buildings project in Georgia, which is called Forgotten Pieces of Georgia. And I was yeah, just seeing that I was just traveling to all 159 counties in Georgia, documenting all the abandoned small business buildings I could find, get as much history from the owners of the buildings if I could track the owners down. Because, um, like, uh, you'd be surprised some of the stories I discovered doing that project. There was a there's a factory in Villa Rica, Georgia, which Villa Rica is not a very big area, but Villa Rica Hosiery was the biggest company in the world for socks and pantyhose for like over a century. And then when NAF, that NAFTA stuff got passed, put them right out of business. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that. I yep. absolutely adore stuff like that. I went to high school and college in Monroe, Louisiana, which is in North Louisiana. And oh, yeah. I remember when I lived there, I found out that the Coca-Cola bottling plant there was the first bottling plant to bottle Coca-Cola. Oh, that is cool. Outside of like the main plant, wherever the main plant was, Atlanta. Uh, that, yep. Yeah, that yeah, in Atlanta, that Coca-Cola plant was the first bottling plant, and because there was a there was a a guy there named uh, I think his name was Charles Beadenhorn, and Beadenhorn uh, owned the Coke distributorship there, and he had a bottling plant. And the rumor is that the formula for Coca-Cola only exists on paper in seven places, and one of those places is in the bank vault. Um, in uh, in Monroe, Louisiana. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I'm yeah. So I, lo I love stories like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I haven't even finished the whole state of Georgia. I got most of it shot before I moved up here. I'm going to have to take some time and go back down, you know, for like a week at a time and just hit as many counties as I can. I've gotten like 110 of them shot already. So I've got like 49 left. Um, and I have my first book come out, which is Forgotten Pieces of Georgia in the Northwest Counties. That's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And uh, I was hoping, I'm still waiting to hear back from the publisher on that because I was hoping to turn it into an eight volume series because that's how many books it would take to cover the whole state of Georgia. And um, and then I got the idea a year or so ago, about two years ago, to start doing the same project in my home state of Pennsylvania. So I've got that one going now as well. But yeah, I'm shooting. I have two X-T4s. I have the X-E4 because I was using uh, that as my compact lightweight body for shooting professional real estate photography because I've done a lot of that too. So I had two X-Ts, an X-E, and then the GFX-50R. My dream and I don't know if it'll happen this year or not. I'm hoping it will, is to finally trade in my uh, 50R and get the 100S. I want that one so badly, the 102 megapixel. And with phase detect autofocus, I hate contrast autofocus. Um, I am uh, I'm a, I'm afraid, I'm deathly afraid of that camera. I have, uh, you know, Fuji's offered to send me one. And <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, thank you, because I am really afraid that if I get that camera in my hand, I'm going to love it too much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know anybody that doesn't love the GFX system, no matter which yeah. body it is. I mean, it's just an insanely fantastic camera system. And uh, so that's what I have. And I was planning as well to get an X100V. But then, of course, all the TikTokers had the yammer yeah. all over TikTok about it. Now you can't find the darn thing anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I have a video about that on my channel too, uh, because here's what's so tragic about that is that you've got all these people who are buying the X100V who aren't buying it for the reason you should be buying. It. Exactly, they're buying it for they freaking don't, TikTok. They don't know how to use it, and they don't understand what makes it so special. They just think it looks cool. Exactly. You know, and 
and they don't understand what a leaf shutter is and how it can change your photography. They don't, they don't know, they, they don't even know there is a neutral density filter built into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they wouldn't know what you to know? do with it if they didn't know it was there. Yeah. And so, and they just, they don't, they don't understand it. And they're spending $1,300 retail more than that now because you can't even hardly find them. And, um, because it looks cool when in reality, you'd be better off with the X, uh, with the, uh, four, the one you've got, what is the X, what for the XE four? Yep. XE four. You'd be better off with the XE four or the, uh, Rico, uh, is it G three series? Yeah, exactly. I Rico. I always forget all the, all the names and numbers. Yeah, the GR3. Rico's got a fantastic camera that does that. Sony's got, you know, anything with the X 100 V because it is such a niche camera and it really is a camera that belongs in the hands of a photographer yeah exactly and i even put a tiktok video up on my tiktok about it i'm like look you don't need the x100v get the xe3 or the xe4 and the 23 millimeter f2 bam same thing yep. only now exactly. you've got an interchangeable system yeah exactly yeah the the the, the x100v is limiting and a person who's going to use a camera that's limiting should be a person who has other options so, you know, the X100V, a lot of times it should be your second camera. You know, you've got all these other options if you need them, but you choose to knock your options down by not having a zoom, by not having interchangeable lenses. And in return, you get this leaf shutter and you get the styling and you get all the stuff that comes, you know, with the limitations of the camera. So I, I've owned three of them. I, I'm, uh, I have the V and then I have, I have the, uh, the S was my first one. And then the F and now the V. Ah, cool. Yeah, and the thing is, is because of the TikTokers, even like the F is still ridiculously high in price. Yeah. Like if yeah. you find one at B and H or something like that, they want like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars for the one hundred F. I'm like, oh my yeah. God. That's what the yeah. V goes for brand new. Yeah. Fuji said uh, just uh, last week, Fuji said that if they stopped taking orders today, it would still take them two months, two to three months to fill all the orders they have on back. Oh, I don't doubt it. I The yeah. thing I don't get is why they don't start cranking them out in a second factory or something so they can put Right. Well, faster. that was one of the questions they were asked, and they said they had no plans to open up a second factory. It can't be that easy just to tool up a whole factory, though. Well, yeah, that's probably true. I mean, the amount of money that I mean, if you're going to tool up a whole factory, you need to know that factory is going to be running for a few years producing that product. And I don't think I think that's their problem is that they're like, we're not so sure that this this bump is going to sustain. So, you know, let's just, we'll just, we'll ride this out, but let's keep our, let's keep our costs low. And they've got to be thinking about the next one. You yeah, know? exactly. It's, it's due for a new version. And I honestly don't know what they're going to come up with for the new version because they can't, you know, they, they, what are they going to do? Give it a flip screen? Yeah. They can't give it a flip screen. We saw what happened when you did that with the XC4. Oh yeah. You know? Everyone hated the flip screen except for me. I loved it, but oh, everyone yeah. hated the flip screen. So now with the XC5, they've gone back to no flip screen. And so they're not going to give it a flip screen. I mean, they could give it the new sensor, the 40 megapixel sensor, but um, I, I really just don't know. I mean, all the things that were wrong with the earlier models, you know, the focus wasn't really sharp at F2, uh, you know, things like they fixed that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the <laughs> earlier version of the 23 millimeter lens, a lot of people said on the earlier models, it was soft. You couldn't get really, yeah. you couldn't get really sharp, great images with the earlier versions of that lens. Right. Wide open. And then yeah, when was, the, was, when yeah. the V came out, everybody that I know that shoots that line, they're like, oh my God, they fixed everything in this one version of the camera. They yeah. fixed everything that was wrong with the previous versions. Yeah. There's really, there's literally nothing on the camera now that I'm like, I bring back the D pad. Yeah, really. They got rid of, they got rid of the D pad on the, on the V. So now you have to swipe on the screen 
And I'm like, no, bring back the D-pad. We, I, there's never, there isn't a photographer in the world who has ever said, man, this camera would be so much better if they get rid of these buttons. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> They're always getting rid of buttons on cameras. And there's no photographer who ever says, please get rid of these buttons. We like buttons. We want buttons. Yeah, so, every, everybody yeah, I know is like, please get rid of the touchscreen because my nose or my cheek hits it all the time and screws up my, my touch screen. My touchscreen is turned off on my X-H2 and it was yeah. turned off on my X-T4. Yeah, yep. so yeah, I, I think touch too much are a big mistake. Oh yeah. yeah, and yeah, and and the flip screen. Um, I love the fully articulating flip screen on the XT4, but I know so many people because I'm in a, a handful of Fuji groups in various places, and that's what the big thing when the XT5 came out. Everybody was like, "Oh, this is the true successor to the XT3." <laughs> Screw the XT4. That camera sucked. Yeah. This is the true successor. <laughs> I was the same way. I'm like, really? Because of the flip screen? I know. It's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? The X-T4 is a phenomenal camera. I, I mean, I mean, and, and, the, and the, it's not like the flip screen took anything away from you. It exactly. just gave you more versatility. So why are you so upset about it? Uh, I mean, I get it. Like when I'm shooting, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs, I got to hold the camera over my head. It would be easier if I could just pop the screen down and hold it over my head. I get that. Uh, but if you ever, ever do anything where you have to stand in front of your own camera, exactly. that flip screen, that flip screen is a lighter. You're setting up to do headshots and you know, you set your lights up, you want to dial in your lighting, you flip the screen around, you hit the 10 second delay, you walk over, it pops a picture, you come back, you look at it, you, you fine tune it. Exactly. Now, before that, I would have to do it with my XT, uh, I would have to do it with my, um, Canon cameras. I would have to to shoot it and then walk around and just like move my head around and be like, I hope that this is right. <laughs> you know, I hope I'm in the frame. Yeah, exactly. And now just being able to go and see yourself on the screen, that's that's fantastic. I, I get it. What would be really great is if they could make a screen that did both. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. And that's my big thing is I want the X100V for the same things you were talking about, because I want to, when I take a trip up to Pennsylvania, New York to visit my kids and grandkids, I want to limit myself to just that one body, one lens setup. I don't want to be dragging a bunch of other lenses with me because then I'll be screwing around with lenses. I want to just go out and shoot with one camera that limits me, but I can have a lot of fun with because I love all the features that it has. I love the leaf shutter, the built-in ND filter, all of that other cool stuff. And of course, uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but DP Review TV recently put out a new video where Chris and Jordan were arguing over what the perfect focal length was, the king of all focal lengths in any camera system. And Chris was adamant that it was the 85 millimeter and Jordan and I are both like, no, it's the 35 millimeter. 35 yeah, no, is the most absolutely, versatile. <laughs> absolutely not the 85 millimeter. Absolutely. 85 millimeter is great if you're doing head and shoulders portraits, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But, and yeah, well, Chris was going on in his segment of the video, oh, you can use it for landscapes, you can use it for this and that. And Jordan and I are both like, you're high, dude. 35 no. is the king. <laughs> 35, 35, I think, is it's close to the king. But really, uh, I might would prefer 24, 28. Yeah, I know a lot of people like 24, 28. I've always preferred 35 to 40 uh, because one of my all-time favorite lenses, especially when I do street photography, because I can be very compact and discreet since I don't have the X100V, is I'll take the Fuji 27 millimeter f2.8 pancake lens and put that on my XE4. Right. And now I've right. got a super compact, lightweight camera system to shoot with. And I'm at 40 millimeters, which 
I still prefer to be a little bit wider at 35 for street. I don't know why. I've just always been that way. I've always preferred 35 for street. Well, you can now go on going wider. You can always crop in, but if yeah, you exactly. crop in, you can't, you can't zoom out. Mm-hmm. You know, in exactly. So yeah, wider, wider just gives you more versatility, but it also hurts you on the portrait side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, then you get too wide and now you, you know, if I just want to take a picture of you, well, it's going to have to be a picture of you from the waist up. And then you know, if I want just a headshot style picture of you, I can't get in that close with that lens. It's going to distort. Yeah, exactly. You got to crop in after the fact, shoot it wide and then crop into the head. Just, just like, video just like your video. Too. Yeah. I just watched <laughs> your video about that. That's just why keep- I said that. Let me just keep plugging my YouTube channel. At <laughs> hey, wrong YouTube. With that. I just did a video about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with plugging your YouTube channel. You got some awesome videos on there. I've been enjoying uh, watching your stuff. Yeah, well, I've kind of been on a tear lately. I did a video every day this week, and I've just been uh, been doing videos about – I just like doing videos about things that are hard to understand. Yeah, yeah. Like, for example, what's the perfect focal length for headshots? Exactly. There is no perfect focal length for headshots, as I show in the video. They all work. It all depends on how far you're standing from the subject. Exactly. And that's the fun of photography, if you're into it. And if you're not, then don't buy a Fuji X100V. Yeah, exactly. And and now, see, the thing is, with you and the X100V, and, you know, I have the same mentality when it comes to that camera you do, the other person that does and really raves about it, or at least he did, I don't know if he's, I'm not certain if he's still shooting with it or not, I would think he is, is David Hobby, the strobist. Oh my God! I re- oh yeah, I remember yeah, seeing I him. David. I don't know David personally, but I know of him. I uh, I remember seeing him on on uh, uh, what's it called now? There was a big YouTube show on photography that was based out of Hong Kong. I watched for the longest time, and then the host and the the two people that were like predominant in all the videos left and went off to do their own thing. And uh, but I remember seeing the, the they did an episode where they were talking to David Hobby. And the X100 had, he, you know, he had just gotten his first X100. I think it was the F at the time. And he was like, oh, my God, this is the perfect camera for not only street photography, but travel photography. Because he, oh, yeah. he does a lot of paid travel photography. And he's like, I am in heaven. All I need is this one body. And I can make my entire living for the year with this one body. Yeah, he loved that camera. He, his, his reaction and experience with that camera was the same as mine. Yeah. Mine was after his. But it very much where... He found, like, I've got mine sitting right next to me now on my desk. And it doesn't have to be here, but I like having it here. <laughs> That's how much I love it. Oh, Last yeah. night, I, I picked it up and, and I took a picture of a, of a Star Wars figurine that's on my desk with it, just because I just love taking pictures with it. Yeah, and I saw I'm a guy that picture. Yeah, I've shot, yeah, I shot it on Instagram last night. And anything that will bring you joy as a photographer you need to embrace it because being a professional photographer will just beat the joy out of it. Oh, you know, yeah, it exactly. Just, and, and people say, oh, you're so lucky if you can make your hobby your job. No, you aren't really that lucky because your hobby isn't nearly as much fun once you have to do it for a living every day. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so anything that can bring that back for you, you know, then absolutely, you know, do it. Embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. Now, I always say that, uh, you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't get excited much anymore. You know, I mean, when you're young, every little thing is exciting and, and, and you're looking forward to this thing and looking forward to that thing. And, and the older you get, the less you have those experiences. So if you're like, I just really love this camera, then buy that camera. You yeah. know, enjoy that camera. Use that camera. People spend too much time, I think, analyzing the pluses and the minuses. Like, it, like with the Fuji X100V, if you sit down the pluses and the minuses of that camera compared to some other small cameras, the Fuji is, the X100V is going to lose. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. No interchangeable lenses, no zoom. And now, you know, it's got to lose. But when you put in the, I just like this camera factor, <laughs> it's a winner every single time. Yep. Right. And it's okay to embrace that. You know, it's, it's okay to embrace that. You do not need medium format, Liam. <laughs> you do not need it. Yes, I but do. But you love it. Gotta have so it. So embrace it. You know what I mean? You know, no, no one needs a Harley when they're 50. But if you really want a Harley, then get a damn Harley. Well, yeah, I, I tell people that too, although I personally hate Harleys. I stick with Japanese. But you know what I'm saying, right? They, I, they I'm don't saying, break down. <laughs> embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be honest, um, I was glad that Fuji offered medium format because they were the most caught, they, they were the least expensive of the medium format systems because Hasselblad is ridiculously expensive. I would love to have like an H6C100D from Hasselblad, but you're talking that's a $100,000 camera yeah. just for yeah, the body ridiculous. with no lenses. I mean, that's crazy. And well, you uh, know, they're, like I said, they're all going away. The, the, the APS-C will, will replace the uh, full frame. Just as the full frame replaced the medium format. There was a time when if you were a professional photographer, you had to have medium format. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Back in the, in the film negative days. And then 35 millimeter became good enough. And now APS-C is good enough. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine who shoots Canon and he got an APS-C for a backup camera and then he took it like on vacation and used it. And when he got back, he was, he was, he was shocked and embarrassed to, at how good the images were. He yeah. was just like, this camera was fantastic. I said, yeah, because all the technology is going into cell phones and the chip on a cell phone is smaller than your fingernail. Yep. And so all the technology is going into making these tiny, tiny sensors better. And that's just trickling up to the APS-C sensors. Yep. You know, and so, so miniaturization is always, nothing gets bigger. Everything gets smaller. Cars get smaller. Engines get smaller. Everything gets smaller. And that same thing applies to sensors. So I don't see any, no one new is going to come to the market and start making, you know, medium format. Fuji's yeah, the last exactly. one. Fuji and Hasselblad. Yep. You know, but, but there's a part of me that has that whole, I just want to get a medium format because it would be so much fun. Yeah. Well, the I mean, only, what's, and the what's only, your depth of what's your depth of field at one point two, <laughs> like a quarter inch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, there is one. There is one other company that still does medium format, and that's Phase One. Oh uh, well, you don't want to touch their camera either. How much money you got in the bank? Yeah, really. Um, I actually I was going to go that route at one time when I still lived in Atlanta because they're headquartered there, and I could get a used Phase One. Uh, digital medium format camera was like a, it would come with one lens, like an 80 millimeter or something like that. And I could get the whole thing for like 10,000. And oh I, I was still like, ah, I just don't think I can pull the trigger on that. It's so expensive. And then Fuji came out with the GFX 50R and I actually got the 50R by uh, trading in some of my other Canon gear from my uh, DSLR days. And that was how I got the 50R. So I only paid like $1,200 out of pocket for the 50R. I got the body and their 50 millimeter lens, which is the 40 millimeter equivalent in full frame in 35 millimeter format. And then I eventually, I had the Laowa 17 millimeter F40D manual lens, which was a darn good lens, but it did have some issues with wicked lens flaring. So it wasn't great for shooting my project with because I'd be out on the road all day shooting in all kinds of sunlight and stuff. And then I, I've gotten, I got in touch with uh, Daniel Carpenter. He's one of the uh, higher up folks at Fuji North America or Fuji US, whatever you want to call it. And um, 
because I'm a YouTuber and a podcaster, I got a relationship going with him and he sends me Fuji gear to, to try out. You also send it to me for two weeks so I can do, I can test it. I can do a review on it, a podcast episode, YouTube video about it, whatever, whatever. And I got him to send me the 23 millimeter F4 GF lens. And I absolutely love that. So then I went out and bought that. I sold my Lala and bought that lens. And I just recently got their 35 to 70 F3, 5 to 4. Uh, and I love that little little telephoto lens. So that's all I have in GFX. Now I just want to I want to trade in the body and get the 100S because I want the 102 megapixels. <laughs> and I want the phase detect autofocus. Contrast detect autofocus in today's day and age sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. okay, but it sucks compared to phase detect. There's no two ways about it. As is always the case, whenever I uh, I am on someone's podcast or on someone's show, and it's about me, even when I'm the host, is I've taken over your show, and I think you've asked me actually one question about event photography, which is why you were going to have me on the show. <laughs> Yep. Because I've gone off rambling on, on every topic in, in the world. So before we run out of time, are there any questions that you absolutely wanted me to answer for your listeners? Because I, I feel like now somebody's listening right now going, all he's talking about is Fuji cameras. <laughs> no, actually, my audience won't be troubled by that at all. Uh, to be Mostly honest, Fuji shooters. Well, to be honest, I, I started out doing my show. When I did the interviews, I would do kind of a script. I'd, I'd come up with a list of questions, and I would send them to the guests ahead of time. And those episodes did very well. But the last year or so, my listeners, which I'll, I'll tell you, a good share of my audience are photography students. So high school kids, college kids, middle school kids, whatever the case may be. Um, they I'm, absolutely I'm, by the way, I'm exactly the opposite. My entire audience is over 60. <laughs> they absolutely love these episodes where me and the guests go off on tangents. So you're not going to offend anybody. Oh, okay, all. <laughs> good. Because that's, that's all I ever do. I can't stay on topic for five minutes. Yeah. Uh, well, I had Susie Pratt. I don't know if you've heard of her. She has a YouTube channel called Gemini Connect. And uh, she does mostly compact camera systems, but she does shoot both Fujifilm and Sony. She does uh, food photography in Seattle. She did uh, band photography for a long time for concerts, um, her and her husband. And um, I had her on a few weeks ago. And same thing, I had her on to talk about food photography and concert photography. And, you know, we talked about that stuff. And then we went off on a tangent on that one, too. So, <laughs> but it still got crazy amounts of downloads. So. <laughs> I'm horrible when it comes to there's so many photographers that I know. I mean, I've I, with my podcast and, and with traveling and speaking, I've met so many photographers and I am the worst person in the world at remembering people and horrible at remembering names. I'm just I've <laughs> never been good at it. And I've just given up. I've just decided, you know what, this is just going to be a thing. And I just tell people I tell them when I meet them, I'm like, I'm not going to remember your name. Just yep. so you know, <laughs> don't take it personally. I literally will forget my own children's names when I'm shooting. Because I'm so deep in my own head. I'm you, uh, you right there. You, you, you know, I forget my own kids' names. Uh, so don't take it personally. And but it's tough in the photography world because everyone's always like, oh, you know, I know this person. Do you know this person? Do you know this person? I'm like, maybe <laughs> I might know them. <laughs> like seriously, Liam. A year from now, if I'm at a convention and you walk up to me, you'll go, hey man, how's it going? I'll go, hey, how's it going? And in my head, I'll be going, I don't know who you are. And then you'll say, I'm Liam, you did my podcast, and then I'll instantly remember everything there is to know about you. <laughs> but when I first see you, I won't remember your name. I mean, it's, it, I don't know what the hook is. I don't know what it is it takes it, what it is that you have to do for me to finally remember your name. But I had a, a friend, my friend Carol, and she was so upset with me because I must have hung out with her three or four times and still didn't remember her name. 
And 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 now I'm like I remember it now because she gave me so much hell about it. <laughs> uh, but I'm just it's just I think it comes from my radio days is that I don't remember anything that isn't going to help me advance the conversation. Yeah, exactly. So your name is not important. I'm just I'm I'm listening to what you're saying to give me something to say in return when I come back to you. And so your name is not helping me. So I just, yep. I dismiss it and stay with it. So <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I know this person. I know this person. And I'm like, I might know them. I might've had dinner with them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember names. It's yep. a horrible, horrible trait. That's no problem. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm letting you know now, right now in front of everybody <laughs> that I will remember you the next time I see you. I just won't remember you by your name. I'll remember you when you go, I'm the guy of North Carolina, Georgia. Pride. Oh, yes. And now I remember this entire conversation. Yep. Do you have something like that? <laughs> like, like, do you have something that just bothers you? That's a, a fault that you have that you just you can't seem to fix? Uh, yeah, but I can't think of what it, I know. There's a couple of them, but uh, off the top of my head, I'm just drawing a blank right now. Is it loss of memory? Is that the is that the problem? Well, yeah, my memory is that you have you used can't to, seem be, to remember that's for sure. You can't seem to remember what your problems are. Is that the thing that bothers you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, my memory's gotten terrible as I've gotten older. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. It's, it gets yeah, like I'm, 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 starting to, I'm starting to forget the stupid stuff that I always remembered instead of remembering people's names. Yeah, yep. Like, like the actual name of everybody who was in the Ghostbusters, for example. <laughs> like the other day, I had to think for a minute to remember Ernie Hudson. <laughs> You know, Ernie Hudson was one of the Ghostbusters. In the past, I would have known Ernie Hudson's name immediately. Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis. Uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray, thank you. See, even then, yep. it took me a second, right? <laughs> Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson. Rick Moranis. And, uh, yeah, and, 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 that, that, and that actually bothers me more than the name thing. Yeah. <laughs> because that's information I've known my whole life. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, yeah, I'd yeah. say that's probably my biggest one, too, is stuff I've known my whole life, and then all of a sudden I can't freaking remember it anymore. Right. Drives like me silly crazy. stuff. Yep. Like who played Marianne on Gilligan's Island? Yeah, exactly. That was uh, Don Wells, right? Don Wells. Yes, yep. it was. It was Don Wells. Yep. Oh, a funny, was- funny side story. Um, my dad is from Wileasing, Pennsylvania originally, and he had his own janitorial business for quite a few years when he back when he was still alive. And one of the restaurants that we cleaned was called Mark's Valley View. It was a hotel and restaurant combined along Route 6. And believe it or not, Mark's father, Walter, actually took care of the mother of the gentleman that played the professor on Gilligan's Island. He took okay. he took care of her for years while uh, her son was in Hollywood filming the show and she was in very poor health. Uh, so he took care of her for years and he's got a very touching black and white photograph. I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was Russell or something like that. He's got a beautiful black and white photograph of him as the professor with a very sweet story where he hand wrote it in pen and then signed the picture. You know, thanks for taking care of such wonderful care of my mom for so many years while I was away. And it's just that story popped into my head because you mentioned Don Wells from Pelican's Island. I uh, heard a great story talking about, you want to talk about side stories, which by the way, the best, if you've ever, if you, by the way, if you're listening, if you ever go listen to my podcast, it's nowhere near as informative as this one. <laughs> like, like Gary and I will spend five minutes talking about Gilligan's Island. And that's what we want to talk about. We, 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 that's what I admire your podcast for is that you actually try to like teach people things and educate people on things and do gear reviews and things like that. I don't do any of that on my podcast. My podcast is 30 minutes of me and Gary goofing off 
and then 30 minutes of just photography news, what happened this week in the photography world. But we, uh, it's really just like going to lunch with two guys who happen to be photographers as we, we don't try to educate at all. Well, that's fine. <laughs> and, and we're and proud that, of it. That makes your podcast, you know? that makes your podcast yeah. entertaining. If, if we're you, proud of it. We don't try to educate at all, but, uh, but uh, anyway, it's the story I was going to tell, I just realized most of your students are uh, most of your, you say most of your listeners are high school and middle school. They're not going to know. They're not going to get this story. Yeah, so we'll exactly. Skip it. <laughs> well, you're I not going to you're not going to want to hear a story about how Bob Denver made sure they put uh, Don Wells and, and Russell Sims's uh, uh, pictures and, and names into the credits for Gilligan's Island. That's not a story you're really <laughs> interested in. Oh, goodness. Uh, actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of him or his podcast. Um, he's pretty big on YouTube, Frono's Photo, Jared Poland out of Philadelphia. No. And he does a weekly podcast called Raw Talk, where he and one of his employees, Stephen, you know, they're on the show together like you and Gary are. And it's supposed to be a photography podcast, but Jared goes off on tangents on where he had to go to buy his recent favorite pair of Levi jeans or something like yes. that. He's always going off on tangents and Steven's always trying to reel him back in. Steven's the one that's like, it's a photography, it's a photography and videography podcast. And you're off on a 30 minute tangent about buying Levi jeans at the mall. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. Let, take, take it from a professional. Okay. I did this for a living. And so what I did, I was a wild and wacky morning man, more music coming at you on KVIL Dallas, Texas. I was that guy, right. For 20 years. Yep. And, um, let me tell you something. No one cares how informative you are. This goes to you also if you go and you speak, right? Like I speak at a conference. Uh, I've spoken in front of 500 people. I've spoken in front of 20 people. No one cares how much information you give them as much as they care whether or not they enjoyed listening to you. Yeah, exactly. That, that is more important than anything else. So if you can give them some information, but also mostly just entertain them, that's what they'll come back again and again and again. And it took us, me and Gary, a while to figure that out. When we originally started doing the podcast, we were doing, you know, we had guests every week and so forth and so on. But then when we would talk to people who listened to the podcast, what they always mentioned to us was some bit where Gary and I started just riffing and talking about something. And, I, and, and Gary was like, you know, that seems so weird. I said, no, that's radio, Gary. They, they, what people like is realism. What people like is, is the, that they're part of a discussion, an interesting discussion that they can identify with you. They like that much more than someone who just gives them all the facts. And so we eventually got to where we don't even have guests on the pie. People will come to us and say, I'd like to be on guest your podcast. We, we don't do guests. <laughs> <laughs> we just do, it's just the two of us. We don't do guests anymore. Yep. And, um, you know, occasionally, if it's a special a special reason, we'll do a guest. But but most of the time, it's just the two of us, and the, the podcast is going great, and and people love it. So and so, this is true in all things of life. You know, it's nothing to do with photography. But listen, young folks out there, let me tell you something. It's absolutely true. It is better to be liked than it is to be good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if people like you, great. Because I know some photographers who are very successful who are not that good. Yeah, exactly. But their customers love them. Yep. So let's uh, let's wrap up because we're about at the hour mark. And I am going to actually circle back to event photography just a little bit. <laughs> we should and, spend at least five minutes on it, shouldn't we? <laughs> and so to wrap up this episode, what would be your advice to young photographers that mm -hmm. want to get into doing event photography, whether it's bar mitzvahs or prom photography, wedding photography, whatever the case may be, what, what kind of advice can you give to my listeners about how to break into that genre of photography? 
Well, start your own wedding company is always a good one. Uh, that, uh, that certainly worked for me. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the reasons that w- when people would ask me to come speak about business at a conference, I would go, I can't really speak about business because my business isn't like other people. My wife started a wedding company. That's how I learned to shoot weddings. A, a lot of how I learned to shoot weddings. Um, if you want to break into event photography, um, unlike other parts of photography, you can't just go and with headshots, you can go and learn how to shoot headshots and get some people to sit for you and open your doors. And with weddings and events, you can't because you have to get someone to let you shoot a wedding when you've never shot a wedding. Exactly. So traditionally what people do is they apprentice under somebody else. So you find someone like me and you call me up and people do this all the time. And you call me up and go, Hey, you know, I want to learn more about photography, but can I come second shoot for you for free? And I go, okay. And so you get to come and carry my bags and help me set up my equipment and all that stuff. The whole time you're learning basically it's an internship Yeah. and the whole time you're learning and you do that for a year or so if they're, if they're a prolific photographer, they're doing a lot of gigs. And by the end of that time, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll be able to do whatever he can do or she can do. And then it's time to break out. <clears throat> the tricky part about that is that you will find that a lot of times if you're going to shoot in front of the photographer that way, they won't let you lo- use your images that you shot at their event for your portfolio. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> so that makes it harder. But, um, I honestly don't know. I think I shot my first wedding for free. Some friends of mine, uh, her cousin was getting married in a little ceremony on the beach and it was not hiring a photographer. And I said, I'll come shoot it for free. And that was how I got my first, uh, my first wedding. And then my second one I think was paid and I was off to the races. Cool. Nothing wrong with that. And now you're the king of bar mitzvahs in Tampa. (laughs) (laughs) I would say I'm the king, but I would say that I do a lot of them. I think there's like one other person who does as many as I don't even know who they are. I, uh-huh. Isn't that weird that I don't pay attention to that stuff? Like, I don't know who the other bar mitzvah photographer is in Tampa who does a lot of them. Yeah. I don't, I just don't, I really don't pay attention to my competition. Very yeah. Much. A lot of, a lot of the really, the really experienced photographers, no matter what genre they're in. Cause I, I have friends that are seven figure a year wedding photographers in Manhattan and they have no clue who else is doing that in Manhattan. Right. All they know is their work and their gigs, and they don't give a rat's behind about who else in Manhattan is doing wedding photography. Yeah, that's kind of the way I am. I just I'm I got better things to do than to check up on you. Yep, exactly. And I never worried about it. all the years I lived in Atlanta. I didn't give a crap who else living in Atlanta was doing what I was doing. I all I cared about was doing what I was doing and making my clients happy and getting paid for it. Yeah, and that's good advice for anybody who wants to get into the, into any kind of photography, especially uh, event photography, is you need to find your style and then really drill it down. Because that's the great thing about event photography is there are so many different styles. Like There are guys, especially in Great Britain, you see a lot of people who do this, and I so admire them, and I would love to be able to do this. But there are guys in Great Britain, people in Great Britain, who shoot a wedding with you know, a Fuji X-Pro 3 and a Fuji X100V around their neck and no flash. And they shoot the whole wedding that way. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I'm just like, oh, man, I would love to do that. But I can't. I'm, I'm a flash shooter. I'm, you know, I'm bounce flash. I'm off camera light. That's what I do. And that's what I'm good at. I can't just suddenly switch <laughs> and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to be shooting all natural light at your wedding. Well, no, because my whole portfolio was off camera lighting. And that's what you came for. And I've, I've often said that uh, when I'm really ready to retire from weddings, I'm not going to really retire 
I'm just going to change and be a wedding photographer who only shoots natural light in black and white. There you go. <laughs> which, mean, which means no one will hire me. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised, actually. Um, I can't, that's what I would like to do. Yeah. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but I read an article a few years back. Uh, and matter of fact, I think it was in like Professional Photographer's Magazine or something like that. Uh, there was a guy in Manhattan, prolific wedding photographer. He's like one of the most well-known wedding photographers in all of Manhattan, makes easily seven figures a year. He shoots every wedding with two Canon bodies. He uses the 85 millimeter 1.2 and the 135 F2, and that's it. No lights, no nothing else. Shoots everything with those two lenses and like two 5D Mark III's or something like that. And the guy's right. making over a million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about that is you say, oh, that was so much easier to do than what you do. No, it's not. It's just different because that guy, the ability to find the shot, you know, here's what I want to know. How many dumps do you have? Because two thirds of the images I shoot at a wedding never see the light of day. Yep. But if you're a natural light shooter, completely natural light, you're shooting probably five times what I'm shooting. You're constantly shooting because you've got no flash going off and you're looking for that perfect angle and that perfect, you know, your high speed. They go, the couple goes in for the kiss. It's like pop with me. But if you're shooting all natural light, it's pop, 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 <laughs> you know, so that you can get every, you can, you can get the one that's exactly where you want it to be. So the post-processing work must be huge. Oh yeah. Well, that's why I think that's why a lot of people like that are using uh, applications like photo mechanic that'll go through and call all the images for them. Oh yeah, I can't. I I I do use uh, AI now on my facial retouching. Uh, after years of all that work to get to where I could do it myself in Photoshop, I now don't do that at all. I have my headshot <laughs> facial retouching is done by AI. But go. um, but uh, culling? No, I feel like you know they say oh it learns. Oh, no, because I there's too many times you see a picture. And you're like, oh, that's nothing. But then you look and you go, oh, wait, this part of the picture right here is something. And if I crop this vertical, this becomes an interesting shot. Now, that's one of the reasons I switched to the X-H2 was because of the 40 megapixel lens. I wanted to be able to crop away more. Yeah, 40 megapixel sensor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, 40 megapixel sensor. I'm sorry, I said lens. That, that was something that blew my mind because for the longest time, everybody, you know, was like, oh, APS-C, you're never going to get more than 20, 25, 26 megapixel sensor. Of course sensor. you are. And then, boom, Fuji comes out with two 40 megapixel sensor cameras, the X-D5 and are. the X-H2. Of course you are. <laughs> the first digital cameras were like 256 kilobytes. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Of course you are. Everything gets smaller. Yep. Oh, believe it or not, my first digital camera, I, I got a replacement one, but the very first digital camera I ever owned, I have again. And it was the Sony Mavica that shot all the photographs to a three and a half inch floppy disk. <laughs> I love that camera. The big, the big floppy disk that goes to the side. Oh my God. I love that camera. But see, I know exactly the camera you're talking about. My first camera... Uh, when I was in high school was a Pentax Emmy. And then when I came back to camp to photography in the two thousands, it was a Canon 40 D I shot with two Canon 40 D's at weddings. And I still have them both. They are the cameras in my photo booth. Oh, there you go. Nothing By the way, that's that. a piece of advice. If you want to start doing events like weddings and stuff like that, also have a photo booth. Yeah. Yeah. Those are becoming super popular, especially well, it's at just weddings. Free, it's just free. It's just a free upgrade. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, they come in to, to hire you for the photography. And you're, by, by the way, I also have this photo booth. Oh, okay, great. You just added, you know, $800,000 to the sale. Yep, exactly. You know, and and you, you get your kid to run it. Yep. 
exactly. And now I see, um, I can't remember the name of the company, but now there's a company that's actually putting fully automated photo booths in some of the malls here in the United States. Yes. Yeah, where it's got professional lighting and blah blah this and blah blah that. Um, it's you, got flat you can get lighting. a portrait for twenty bucks, and then you can buy all the extras, you know, for a lot more money if you want to do that. And I'm like, nah. Uh, well, you know, the thing with that is that the people who want the, the people who want that picture, and you get exactly what twenty dollars would get you. Yeah, exactly. Those are people who would never come to me anyway. Yep. Exactly. Which is always the case with photography. Whenever people worry about something that, about shooting burn photographers and stuff like that, you have to understand it's like Nordstrom does not worry about Kmart. Yeah. You know, exactly. there's, there's a market. Those aren't your clients. It doesn't matter what they do. They're never coming to you. You know, those aren't your clients. So um, that's always the case whenever there's something that's going to shake up the industry. You know, and it's going to kill high end this. It never kills high end this. High end this still exists. You know, and, and, you know, BMW is not sweating the fact that the Toyota Corolla is more reliable. Yeah, <laughs> that's for because, sure. Because people who buy BMWs wouldn't be caught dead in a Corolla. Yeah, exactly. A Corolla is not a status symbol. <laughs> no, whatever or whatever their reason is for loving BMW. You know, there's 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 something for everybody. You just have to find the client for you. And that's if you want to do events. You no, know, so I'm gonna bring it back around now. I'm gonna that's circle fine. right back around. <laughs> if you want to do events, you have to find out who your client is, and then and then cater to them. Like I found out pretty early on that my client is not high end. That I don't really want to work for high end. I don't want to work the fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar weddings where you're charging 10 and 20 grand for the photography. I don't want to work that market because I don't want to have to have all the assistance I have to have. I don't have to manage them. I don't want to have to deal with all the planners. I don't want to have to do all that stuff. What I want is to deal directly with my bride and groom. And I want people who want better than average photography and can pay for it. But yet still, I'm able to deal with them one-on-one -on -one and not kill myself to do the job. Yeah, That's exactly. my market. So let build, build your pricing around that, build your advertising around that, build your website around that and, and go after that market. Exactly. Yep. And I tell, I tell students that all the time. I'm like, look, you got to go after your market, what you want to shoot, what you're comfortable working with and price yourself accordingly. Don't worry about, you know, Joe blow down the street. That's doing the same thing you're doing, but he'll do it for 50 bucks a pop and you're charging $500. Don't worry about that. Just also Joe Blow you. doing it for Joe Blow doing it for fifty bucks isn't going to be doing it a year from now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he can't afford much. to support his family with that money. Exactly. You know, I probably the best advice we'll ever receive is um, you are not your client. That's another thing. You are not your client. So I I, I know a lot of photographers that that sell work that they never personally would pay that much money for. Yeah. Yep. You know, and that's that's a weird hard thing to do. To be like, you know, I charge this much for a portrait session, but I personally would never pay that much for a portrait session. <laughs> but that's just, you are not your client. Yeah, exactly. Find who your client is and cater to them. Yep, exactly. 100% right. All right, my friend, it has been fantastic having you on the show, and I appreciate you being kind enough to give me some of your time. I know you probably got a fairly busy schedule with cranking out the videos like crazy and all that good stuff in your event photography. And uh, do me a favor, if you get a chance, you find one, send me an X100V because I have a feeling I'll be waiting forever to get one from B&H <laughs> or Adorama. <laughs> listen, there was, listen, there was a small part of me that thought about selling mine. Uh, no, don't ever just, sell it. Don't ever yeah, sell it. Yeah, just sell it. And, and then just, be, I was, but, but the problem is I couldn't find anything I really wanted enough that I would be willing to give it up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because like you were saying earlier, there's like the GR3 from Ricoh, um, but it, 
it can't do all the stuff that the X100V can do. It's not the right. same. It's not, you can't reply. Like you, I think you said it in one of your YouTube videos. There are other cameras out there similar to what the X100V can do, but there's none that are a true replacement for it. Correct. And, until Fuji releases the next generation. And I have a feeling right. I mean, it's a very unique, it's a very unique camera. Exactly. There's other, you know, you, you know, and one of the things I love is that when you go watch videos and they, and they say, these, these are great alternatives to the Fuji X100V. Almost every camera that they show does not have a built-in flash. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that's how, how can you be, how can you say that that camera's, it doesn't have a built-in flash. How can you say it's a replay? It's, it's an alternative. That's, that's a deal killer for most people. Now, most people are going to shoot, a lot of people are going to shoot all natural light anyway. But if you're somebody who's a TikToker and just looking for a video, a camera, blah, 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 you better believe that's somebody who wants to be able to go to a party and take a picture. Yep, exactly. And they're going to need a flash. Yep. You know, so there needs to have a built-in flash, even though I almost never use mine. I, uh, I'm going to either be shooting natural light or if I need a flash, I'm going to take a little Godax TT350, put it on top of the camera, turn around, bounce it over my shoulder because I'm purist. I'm an event photographer, so I can't I can't bring myself to use that direct red eye flash yeah. on the camera. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to say. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want to use the built in one that makes everybody have vampire eyes. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> you might as well just stab me through the heart. I can't. I, I'm not going to do that. So uh, I have a little flash that I carry if I, if I need it to do that kind of work. But your average person who's buying these cameras now from TikTok because they just want a camera. Yeah, they're fine with the on-camera flash. Yeah, exactly. They want the on-camera flash, so you, yep. you got to give them that. Oh, even in that, when I was just doing hobbyist photography for myself and for family and stuff like that, if I had a body like a 50D or something like that that had a built-in pop-up flash, I always taped that sucker down so it couldn't pop up. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, no, if I need flash, I'll use my off-camera flash, thank you very much, or my mono yeah. lights or continuous lights or whatever the case may be. I will never use the vampire red-eye light. Well, there's an elitism that comes to photography um, and an attitude that if you don't have it, you resent it and until you do have it. And now you're like, oh, yeah, I'm part of that club. And that's just, and that's uh, directional lighting is a big is a big elitist step in photography. You're either a person who like thinks that people like us are elitist the way we behave or once you embrace directional light you're one of us and you're like, Oh my God. Yes. Those people who aren't using directional life are all light or awful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, it's just like, it's just one of those stepping stones when it comes to uh, photography uh, that anytime somebody says, Oh, I'm a photographer too. And I'm always like, really talk to me about directional light. <laughs> <laughs> now, in my opinion, I see one thing that they could do to the X 100 V's replacement. They don't okay. need to change the sensor. They don't need to change the lens or the screen on the back of the camera. The only thing they need to do is bump the ND filter from four stops to eight stops. Boom, call it a day. Oh, my God, no. Eight <laughs> stops? What are you going to do with that? Are you taking pictures of the sun? Exactly. I want to be able to take direct photographs of the sun during an eclipse. <laughs> You're doing eight stops. <laughs> That's about the only thing I could think of they could do to the camera. Other than that, I mean, it's absolutely perfect. Bring back the D-pad. Oh, yeah, and bring back the D-pad. Okay, so Fuji, if you're listening, all you need to do is bump the ND filter up to eight stops, bring back the D-pad, boom, call it a day. Yeah, okay, just bring back the D-pad. Don't listen to him on the ND filter. Hey, 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 hey. Be nice, be nice. <laughs> but, yeah, the D-pad definitely needs to come back. Yeah. Um, and I've been, you know, I've been wondering. It's like I want the X100V so bad, but it's been out for so long. When's the X106 coming out? The BI, whatever they want to call it. I honestly, I honestly don't think it's going to come out anytime soon because I, 
I don't think they can come up. They've got to have, if they put out that camera, they have to give all the X100V users an excuse to buy it. And I don't think they've come up with anything. They yeah. just can't come up with a reason. The only thing I can think of is what you said, 40 megapixel sensor and return to the D-pad. Yeah, exactly. And a stop ND filter. <laughs> no one cares about the A stop ND. Well, you know, the other one that's interesting, um, speaking of Fuji cameras, is the X Pro 4. It's been a long time since the X Pro yeah. line has been yeah. refreshed. And they've got the same problem with that. Uh, in a recent interview, they said that, um, that they're working on it. It'll be ready when it's ready. They said because it has to be unique, and they're running out of ways to be unique. This is one of the things that bothers me about all camera companies. We do not need 20 different models. Exactly. And they're running out of ways to make the X-Pro unique. I mean, right now they've got the whole thing with the, where the screen does, isn't flipped around, and, and that's kind of, I guess it's cool if you're into that. I, I'm not cool into taking things away from me. You know, I mean, I, mean, I get it that they've taken away from me the ability to have a zoom lens, et cetera, with the X100V. But what they've given me is f2.0, uh, you know, and so that's that's a trade-off. But with the X Pro, they took away the the versatility of the of the back screen and they didn't give you anything in return for it. Yeah, exactly. They just, they just took it away for the hell of it. And I just don't I don't know what they can do to that other than you know upgrade the sensor, you know, upgrade the focusing. So the next version of the of the X Pro will just be that. It'll be like the the 100V is. In that all they did was they just fixed the things that were wrong with it before. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly think with the X100V, they don't really have anything else they can do to bring out no. a new body. Like you said, the X100V has been so incredibly popular, so incredibly successful, even before the TikTok craze. And they fixed all of the issues from the previous iterations of the camera. It's like, what else can you do? Nothing. Just keep making well, that the model. Only thing just keep making that model for the next 10 years. The only thing that they can do is try to make it more approachable to the masses. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which would mean which would mean a zoom lens, which would mean uh, more auto modes, maybe, I don't know, or something along those lines. Because when you say it's been so successful, I don't know that it has been. I mean, successful compared to what? It's been successful as a niche camera because that's what it is. Oh, yeah. But it's not successful. It's not as successful as a Canon Rebel. Yeah, yeah, know? that's true. You know, everybody and their mother isn't buying it. You know, you don't you don't see soccer moms up and down the, the sidelines shooting with the X100V. So it hasn't really been successful. What, what it's been successful at is building a rabid fan base that will stay with it. Oh, yeah. No doubt about and in that. that. And in that respect, no, there really isn't anything they can do to it. Yeah, exactly. And see, that's one of the reasons why uh, between the two systems, and like I said, I shot Canon for years and Fuji for years both. And between the arm issues, the other reason why I preferred to go to Fuji versus any other APS-C system out there, even Canon stuff, is because to me, to be honest, Fuji's like the king of APS-C. They got the best yeah. color science. They have the best technology. They Great. Their autofocus may not be as great as Canon or Sony's. It may not be as fast. It may not be as accurate at tracking. But you know what? The other big thing that I love about Fuji is the retro look and feel of their cameras. All those sure. dials, all those buttons. I absolutely love that. And that is what makes photography enjoyable again, is that that design that harkens back to when I started out shooting film. That's the other and yet, thing. And yet I me. gave that design up when I went to the X-H2. Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, you because still as much as, I, as, much as I, as much as I love that design, where the requirement of that design is that the camera itself is not very ergonomic. Yeah. Yep. True. It doesn't fit in your hand that well. 
And and there's a reason that every camera in the, on the market except for Fuji has a big pistol grip built into it. Yeah, exactly. Ergonomics. And so that's why I switched to the X-H2. The main reason was ergonomics, was that when you're working in an event and you're carrying a camera all day, it needs to be something that really sits comfortably in your hand. And the XTs do not necessarily sit comfortably in your hand if you're going to be holding them all day. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're not if you're not holding them all day, they're great. Well, the but one all day. Yeah. No, well, the one catch is because I I've shot all day, all weekend auto racing with my XT fours, and they're fine as far as the ergonomics and the grip. Once you add on the battery grip to them, so it gives the hand well, grip more of a bump. And I right, do, but you don't want to add the battery grip on because then that's more weight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a catch twenty two. Uh, now, what I did for my XE four and my fifty R is I got just an Arca Swiss plate that gives you the hand grip bump out that makes it more ergonomic and more comfortable, but doesn't add a lot of weight to it because it's just a tripod plate with the hand grip bump out that comes up the front side of the body and that's it. Nothing more. Well, you know what I just did, which I was like, wow, I wish I had looked into this earlier was I just added a small rig full cage onto my XH2. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are super popular too. The well, I just thought oh, there's a big cage on here, but, but now that it's on there, I'm like, oh, there's more places for me to grab the camera. It fits better in my hand. It's rock solid. When I set the camera down, it's hitting on the plate instead of hitting on the camera. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I, mean, I never would have thought uh, that being a still shooter that I would like a cage on my camera, but I do. Now you absolutely love it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if I haven't worked an event with it, spread. I'll let you know after the next bar mitzvah. <laughs> oh, you just got it. You literally yeah, just I got mean, it. Yeah, literally like, like a week ago. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll have to keep me updated on how uh, how much you enjoy it after you do your first full-on event with it where you're shooting for if only the, If only hours. there was a place... If only there was a place where you could go and watch a video about that. Yeah, I know. Like a like a YouTube channel called yeah. Boo Ray Perry. Yeah, it's too bad they don't have a YouTube <laughs> channel called Boo Ray Perry. <laughs> this is the longest podcast you've ever done. We've got to, we've got to close. No, no, actually, it's not. I did one uh, with one of my former professors when I got my photography degree that went two and a half hours. And then, okay, well, and the listeners then. loved it. <laughs> Hang on, let me make another cup of coffee because I'll be damned <laughs> if some dang academic is going to beat me. Come on. <laughs> oh man, you are a lot of fun to talk to you, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, we'll wrap up now because um, I've got to get some other stuff done today. Uh, my wife's got a honeydew list for me. Oh. <laughs> so I got to get to that. And uh, with a cold and freezing rain, I don't think I'm going to get out and do any photography today. So I'm going to be stuck doing honeydew stuff. My wife never has a honeydew list because I do all the small stuff myself. I'm more organized than she is. She's the slob. Uh, so it's never like, you know, empty <laughs> the dishwasher or vacuum. I, I do all that stuff. So her honeydew list is always stuff like, yeah, chop down the tree in the backyard. <laughs> it's always it's always stuff where I'm just like, wait a minute. Oh, my you know? goodness. It's never anything small. It's always like, this is going to take you two days and it might kill you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, that's brutal. That's definitely brutal. All right. Well, thank you again, Blu-ray, for your time. Please uh, do me a favor. Shoot me a message um, where we contact each other on Facebook and send me your links to your website, social media, all the, just so I make sure I have all of them to put in the show oh, notes. Of course. And, oh, Although it's pretty easy to find me again. Yeah. If you just look, if you just go Google Blu-ray Perry, there's only one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, you got a unique My name, website so. is Blu-rayPerry.com. My YouTube channel, my YouTube channel is at Blu-ray Perry. My Instagram is at Blu-ray Perry. It's pretty easy. Yeah, pretty easy to find you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong no. with that. No. 
All right. Well, again, thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun. I'll have to have you on again down the road if you have time again in the future. Uh, well, I'm always available. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You have yourself a wonderful weekend. You too, Liam. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Bye. And there you have it, folks. That wraps up episode 324 of the Liam Photography Podcast, where my friend Bure Perry and I talked about event photography, and then we went off on tangents about Fujifilm and all kinds of other things. But hey, that's what makes the world fun and interesting and makes the show popular. So I want to thank him again for his time, taking time out of his busy schedule to be a guest on my show today. I really do appreciate it. And I will have all of his links in the show notes for this episode so that you can check out all of his stuff for yourself. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, once again, this is a wrap of this episode 324. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also, please stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel as well as Boo Ray Perry's YouTube channel. Give both channels a subscribe. Watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media. Hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new videos drop by both of us. And I will see you all again on Sunday. <laughs>